0: Hey, Tessa, if you were a famous singer, which of the following background singers and dancers would you prefer? A dancing hand, a bunch of sexy devil women, or invisible people wearing white workout gear?
1: I choose option D, Voltron Kitars.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Eurovision.
1: to monkey off my backlog the podcast where we exercise our pop culture demons by tackling our media to-do lists one week at a time i'm your host tessa suela and with me is my co-host the lawful good character of the podcast dr sam morris hello our other co-host andy is not with us currently as he is taking advantage of our generous non-paid parental leave policy here at monkey Bard was also not available, but today we are going to do something a little different. We asked you, our dear listeners, to tweet at us, email us, and call in for personalized recommendations based on your likes or your interests, and we got some doozies. So in this episode, Sam and I are going to give you recs based on your call-ins. We will also talk about putting together a summer film festival and our shared monkey of the week, Eurovision 2021. So let's get straight to the phones.
0: Who's our first call from today?
1: Our first call is from Elise from New Jersey.
0: Hi, Mumble Crew. My name is Elise. I've been really enjoying your podcast. Thank you for putting it out. So lately, I've been really in the mood for a fun action movie. I don't need a huge plot or anything, and I don't really mind if I have to sus- suspend belief a little bit, that kind of thing. Um, For example, Die Hard is one of my favorites. I also recently watched um, Mad Max Fury Road, which I completely loved. So any recommendation for movies with similar tone would be awesome. Thanks,
1: and keep up the great
0: work. Well, I think the first and most obvious place for this podcast to go is to recommend the Fast and the Furious franchise. You don't really have to put a lot of investment in reality. In fact, you shouldn't to enjoy this series. But that's a that's a first really good choice. And also, the Die Hard movies are great.
1: I mean, we did do a podcast where we watched action movies over the course of two days. So if you really want like a comprehensive list, I think our episode, Stupid 90s Action Movies back in December, might be a good place to start. But I'm trying to think of things that are kind of, like, Die Hard is an obvious go-to. Like, if you want more stuff like that, that's going to be from our stupid 90s action movie list. I'm trying to think about things that are more like Mad Max Fury Road. Charlize Theron has been in a lot of really crappy action movies. (laughs) I'm trying to, I mean, I I feel like Atomic Blonde might be a really good uh, Mm. thing to put in here. Uh, That's a really great action movie with her. It's kind of a spy thriller, if you haven't seen that already. Fast and Furious has the car thing, I guess, with uh, with Mad Max.
0: <laughs> well, and of course, there's the John Wick series, which we'll talk about more in this episode later. But Tessa's always standing for Red, which is a fun action movie.
1: Yeah, Red is a really good one. So yeah, I mean, I would check out our our '90s list, and then hopefully there is something in what we've said that you would appreciate. Uh, so our next one is not a call. It is a tweet in from Haley from Northwest Arkansas, longtime listener of the pod. So Haley tweeted, "Okay, three favorite films: Brick, Pacific Rim, A Knight's Tale." That's quite a spread. That's quite a spread of genres there.
0: Haley, what I think you're looking for is I think you're looking for a Ryan Johnson film that stars Heath Ledger, that's about mechanical kaiju. Now, that movie doesn't exist, but I think we can all admit that it should.
1: <laughs> Let's see. Well, I mean, I think Brick definitely brings up some noir, uh, some neo-noir stuff that we could talk about. Um, I think a couple of episodes ago, I recommended Double Indemnity for Andy um, when talking about noir. It's just a really classic noir type of film. Pacific Rim, if you haven't seen anything else by Guillermo del Toro, Definitely recommend him as a auteur. He's very interesting. Um, Pacific Rim is the most action-y, I would say, of his his stuff. But if you like sort of that strange but really brilliant and clean filmmaker craft, you probably like things like Crimson Peak, things like The Devil's Backbone, other films that he's done, Shape of Water. Those are all really great if you're looking for more like that specifically. Or you could just go straight into the kaiju route. Um, if you like, you know, huge, huge kaiju fighting each other, um, I could recommend the 2014 Godzilla. I'd recommend the original Godzilla, Shin Godzilla. We talked about that a few episodes ago as well. That's a really great kaiju movie, too. And a Night's Tale. I don't know as much about Fleet, uh, uh, Heath Ledger as you do. I'm going to turn this over to you.
0: I'm trying to figure out the Nolanverse connection for the uh, for Pacific Rim because we've got JGL and, and, and Heath Ledger. Oh yeah. For that. For yeah, yeah. yeah. I, a Knights Tale is it, that's one of my family's favorite movies to watch. It like has so much replay value. I it's almost weird. It's almost like Bill and Ted in that way, that it's got just that replay value and it's just a fun take on something. I these are all very disparate films. I feel like Knives Out is like the is really the connection between Brick and A Knight's Tale. I don't really know how Pacific Rim loops into that. <laughs> Again, I, I really think that Ryan Johnson should make a kaiju movie that has the sensibility of A Knight's Tale. I think that's the answer. It's a movie that hasn't been made yet, but I would recommend it. Call us.
1: Lady Hawk. That would be another actual movie that I would recommend. <laughs> I know Sam hasn't seen it. I'm trying to get him to see it. But if you haven't seen it yet, it is kind of, it's not, like, don't go into it thinking this is like a Knight's Tale because you'll be disappointed. But it is uh, Matthew Broderick and it is, like, that sort of sensibility, like, medieval sensibility with knights and weird stuff going on. But it also has, like, a very humorous side to it because of the Matthew Broderick character and the soundtrack is almost completely 80s music. And so that that should give you kind of some similar vibes.
0: So with... The last two calls, we've been asked about movies and we've recommended movies, but I have one last recommendation. I still don't know quite how to loop in Pacific Rim, but if you're looking for something that combines Brick and A night's Tale, I've got one for you. It's actually a one-season television show called Terriers. And I believe now that FX has done their deal with Hulu, it's on Hulu now. It is a great, great, it's not really a procedural, it's it's back when FX was starting to do all these groundbreaking cool shows, but it's like a private detective show. Yeah, I think there's a good combination of the, you know, some humor and a lot of the kind of brickish neo-noir ideas. That's a good one to check out. There you go. That's a wreck.
1: Hopefully some of those you haven't actually seen. I didn't mention Veronica Mars because I know you, Haley, that you have seen it before. But for those of you listening who haven't seen Veronica Mars, but like Brick, that is another good recommendation.
0: No one has seen Terriers except for three people on Tumblr, me and TV Critics. So (laughs) I feel like we're on good ground on that one.
1: So before we take more calls and look at a couple of more tweets, I wanted to talk a little bit about... The film festival that Sam and I are putting together for ourselves, this is just a personal film festival, and some of those sort of milestone film type things that we can put together. So if you've been listening for the last, I don't know, however many months, how many months has it been since the beginning of the year? What is time anymore? We have both been trying to watch as many of the Oscar films as we possibly can, Oscar nominated films, I should say. And we try to do this every year, I feel like. Uh, How long have you been doing all of the Oscar Best Picture nominations? Before the Oscars, obviously, every year.
0: Since before they went to 10 movies. So I'm thinking about some of the early ones that I saw after I started this were, let's see, Michael Clayton was nominated one year. Uh, That may or may not have been the same year as Atonement, but it's around that time. So. Uh, Late aughts.
1: Now, you usually do, on a normal year, you really like to do the AMC showcases, right? The AMC, for a long time, would do these best picture showcases one weekend before the Oscars.
0: Right. And so the thing about that is movies like The Blind Side, which was nominated, I, I had no reason to desire to see that on my own. Juno was another one that I was not interested in that I saw because of the AMC Best Picture Showcase. want to tell you, starting a day with Avatar in 3D and then watching at least four more movies after that's a real mood. Also, No Country for Old Men and There Will Be Blood is a heck of a double feature. <laughs>
1: So, I have started doing this with you, and this year we got to get a little bit farther than we would normally because the Oscars were in April instead of in February, like they usually are. We got through all of the best pictures, all of the best directors. Did we get through m- most of the best actors, except for *Hillbilly Elegy*, because we didn't want to watch that one? Yes. Did we do the rest of those though? Yes. So we we watched a lot of films for the Oscars, and I think the reason we both like doing that isn't necessarily because we're super invested in the Oscars as a concept, although we do watch the Oscars every year. But I think it's because it gives us like a a checklist. We- Does that seem right to you, or do you have other reasons for why you like to put movies together in this way?
0: It's a checklist, but if you're against the Oscars as an institution, that's fine. But the thing to remember about the Academy Awards is that they give legitimacy to things, and so they are important in that they are an institution. Unlike the Hollywood Foreign Press, which has essentially been canceled, but for good reason, I don't see the Academy going anywhere And so it's important to reform it and make it better. And the more people who know what it does and what it does not do, the better we can reform, the quicker we can reform. So being conversant in Oscar-nominated films is, I think, it matters for that reason. So there you go. Checklist and representational issues that we hope we can improve.
1: Okay. So that brings us to the next film extravaganza that we have spent the last couple of weeks planning. I just feel like both of us really like to have checklists, right? I mean, we've done this before. We watched through all of Tarantino's work a couple of years ago. We've been we've been off and on doing our bond watch, which we will talk about at some point on this podcast probably before the next bond uh, occurs. We've been watching an animated Disney film every Saturday morning with Waffles. That's been a great little tradition throughout the pandemic. But I think both of us decided that we wanted to do something a little bit more ambitious for the summer, something a little bit more diverse. What were your thoughts going into this project?
0: Back in October, we did Spooktober.
1: Spooktober.
0: And then after that, we smash cut right into getting ready for the Fast and the Furious podcast series that we did. After that, we did the big 90s action marathon. And then we started watching Oscar movies. You threw in some Christmas movies there. And part of this is what we decided to watch over the summer is a list I've been compiling every time we go, you know, gee, I know what we should watch. You know, it would be fun. And so after we finished the Academy Awards, we were both tired of watching movies for a while. We haven't watched many other than the Saturday morning Disney Um, So now that maybe life has slowed down, hopefully a little bit for the summer, we decided we wanted to go ahead and program two nights a week. And it was actually really easy to put together uh, at least the brainstorming part of what we would watch because we already had a list made. And all I had to say is, you want to watch this? Tessa said, yes. I said, you want to watch this? and Tessa said, yes. And it worked out.
1: Yeah, and I think it's really important to mention before we start talking about the actual films we put on our list. Actually, there's two things I want to mention. The first one is there isn't really a theme to this one. I went into compiling this list thinking that there is a blind spot in my pop culture film list, and that is I don't know as much about some of the great Asian filmmakers as I would like to, so I wanted to hit a couple of like top-tier Asian directors. This just seemed like a really good chance for me to sort of start jumpstart my education in that area. It's not that I haven't seen any Asian filmmakers. It's just I haven't really done the deep dive that I have wanted to for a while. This seemed like a good opportunity. There's also a lot of rewatches. Because I know at least one of us is having a surgery this summer, there was also sort of an opportunity to program some some marathons, some all day double features or all day, uh, you know, trilogy watches as well. Okay, you know what, we'll get to the, the second thing here in a minute. Let's actually talk about what's on this list. So what were some of the films that were on this list for a while that we decided to go ahead and tackle this summer?
0: So I talked about John Woo's filmography, both in uh, the Stupid Action 90s marathon, uh, and as well as watching Hard Boiled. So An easy one was to go back and do that. So we actually decided on a double feature, The Killer and Bullet in the Head, which are the films immediately before and after Hard Boiled. Another one that we had talked about that Tessa suggested was rewatching Hero and House of a Thousand Flying Daggers, which is directed by Zhang Yimou. I've been trying to convince Tessa for a long time that Wong Kar Wai is just this awesome director. We're actually going to watch four of his films, and then Tessa had a very special request.
1: Oh right, yeah. So one of the ones I suggested was Old Boy because I haven't delved into that particular director or series yet, and your response was.
0: Well, first of all, before we get to my response, you have seen one film by director chan Park.
1: I have seen Stoker. We watched that for our horror film class several years ago, which was a really fun film.
0: So my reaction was, well, we can't watch Old Boy if you haven't seen it's part of a trilogy. Let's watch the first film of the trilogy, which I actually like better than Old Boy, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. So that's a pretty good dive into some of the more popular Asian directors. And so, you know, it's just an opportunity to try some things out, rewatch some old favorites of mine, and then we'll go forward from there. What else do we have on tap?
1: Well, I know every year we talk about rewatching the Cornetto trilogy by Edgar, Wa- by Edgar Wright, and you also hadn't seen Scott Pilgrim vs. World for a long time. So that was another, we just decided to do all of Edgar Wright, right? Right? Right. Yeah. So we're going to do a double feature Baby Driver, Scott Pilgrim, and then we're going to do a rewatch of the Cronetto trilogy. And this will all be in a week, basically.
0: And so we, we set out to say, okay, so some of these will be double features. A handful of them, maybe two, will be triple features. It turns out most of our days that we've picked to watch stuff is going to be two films or even three films. There's a lot of that. Another that we decided to do was, since we watched Mission Impossible back in December, another way to watch yet another John Woo movie is to go ahead and spend a day watching Mission Impossibles 2 and 3, which neither one of us have seen for a while. Of course, the second one was directed by John Woo. The third one was directed by J.J. J. Abrams. And speaking of J.J. J. Abrams...
1: We also both wanted to watch the Kelvinverse Star Trek Film Trilogy by J.J. Abrams. Well, the first two are by J.J. Abrams. We, I've actually never seen the third one. I think I was kind of turned off um, by the idea of the third one, but revisiting it and revisiting Star Trek recently has really made me want to go back to it. I've been assured by at least one of my friends that it's actually better than the second one, so I am really excited to revisit the Kelvinverse. That'll be another triple feature, probably during a Saturday or something like that. What else is on tap, Sam?
0: So on an episode of The Monkeys earlier, we talked... On an episode oh, no, of The monkeys. monkeys. On an episode of Monkey several months ago, Tessa talked about watching The Monkeys and the film that they made in 1968, Head, Head was the first movie that was part of BBS, which is uh, Bob Rafelson and Bert Schneider, who as Raybert Productions produced The Monkees, but they added... Steve Blauner, and they got together and they made a handful of movies. Head was the first one you may have heard of. The one that they made next that was Easy Rider. Five Easy Pieces is a great Jack Nicholson movie. I love it. And then the Last Picture Show, and then a few others. And so we decided we'd spread those out across the summer and do the whole thing. You know, it's a nice little trek into classic cinema. But the opposite of classic cinema is, of course, new cinema to prepare for some new stuff coming out this summer. We're going to be rewatching a couple of recent favorites.
1: Of course, Marvel is returning to the big screen this summer. We have been waiting over a year for Black Widow. We've talked about that a lot on the podcast. We're both Marvel junkies over here. I know, cringe, but... One of the things we really wanted to do, because it has been so long since we've seen a Marvel movie on the big screen, was to, you know, watch some movies in preparation. So the movie we decided to watch in preparation for Black Widow is, of course, The Winter Soldier, because that is the film that immediately precedes Black Widow in the chronological order of the films. Also, Suicide Squad on the other, uh, from the other big uh, superhero franchise uh, by James Gunn is coming out later this year. So we decided to re-watch the original Suicide Squad and also Harley Quinn and Birds of Prey because those seem to be the movies that are directly influencing that one.
0: And of course, we're getting ready for Bond in October. For real, they promise. And so we're going to start up in the middle of July, our final 10 film trek across the Bond franchise, starting with Timothy Dalton. So that'll be fun, but you can't have action without the new best action hero we're gonna spend a whole day and re-watch the john wick trilogy
1: just because you need to watch you just need to re-watch john wick every once in a while it's it's kind of an action ritual at this point point. and the other thing of course with film festivals especially if you're doing them with a friend or a significant other the way that i am doing because sam is both my friend and my significant other Rose. <laughs> one of the things that's really cool about film festivals of course is that You can make the person that you're doing the film festival with watch a film that you've wanted them to watch for a really long time. I'd like to call this inflicting a monkey on someone. So we both got to choose a couple of films that we thought we might actually want the other person to watch. One of the ones that I've been trying to get Sam to watch for a while is actually a documentary called I Know That Voice, which was produced by John DiMaggio and several other voice actors that you probably would recognize their voices. We've been watching a lot of animated stuff. We both really like animation. And you'll notice if you watch any kind of animation and you pay attention to the credits that a lot of times it's the same handful of people who are doing a lot of the heavy lifting for shows and films that you love. And this documentary is a way to talk about voice acting as a craft and the community that exists there. I've loved this documentary for a long time. I'm really excited to share it with Sam. Sam, What did you decide that I needed to see this summer?
0: Well, I want to keep some things a surprise for episodes of Monkey this summer, but we're leading off our summer film festival with the classic film, Weekend at Bernie's. That's right, Weekend at Bernie's. Tess has never seen it. That's what we're kicking off with. I bet you're wondering, though. Now that we have all these films, how did we decide when we were going to watch them?
1: So obviously, these are a lot of films. I don't think it's too ambitious. We've done stuff like this before. We're big film people. So, you know, we're going to enjoy this. And I think you will hear about some of these films as monkeys as we go along this summer. So I wouldn't be surprised if there were any that popped up in future episodes. The fun part about this is that once I started talking about this with Sam, I mean, this was this was a labor that was a couple of weeks in the making we kind of molded over we talked about it we looked at lists that we'd made before we we narrowed it down we talked about what we wanted to do this summer and then one day as we were talking about it sam emerged from the office carrying strips of paper and corkboard pins and proceeded to strip our corkboard off on our wall of all papers and tiny little lists that i've written and all of that like paraphernalia from my brain and set up a schedule. Do you want to talk about your process behind this, Sam?
0: Just seemed like a good idea at the time. SNL has their little cute index cards, and I thought, well, I could rip that off, and this is going to be better than SNL anyway. So I just decided to put the months up, and we were able to physically manipulate the films into the shape that they are in as far as when we will watch them. Hopefully, we will not regret our decisions later but it it worked out pretty nice there are 8 movies or double features or triple features in June there are 9 in July and there are 10 in August bringing us right through Labor Day weekend we'll have time to finish watching Bond before Spooktober
1: Spooktober I feel like we should have a countdown timer for Spooktober on social media
0: So if you're looking forward to that Maybe I'll watch The Invisible Man this year. It'll be much better than The Mummy was. But then, after Spooktober...
1: Spooktober!
0: ...is over, we're going straight into X-Men. So you see, there, there's really a lot going on here. We really have programmed out through the end of the year. It's going to be fun, though. I, I hope that maybe some of you might like to watch along for a film or two. Like I said, some of them are going to be surprises that will show up on Monkey. But uh, it'll be a good time, and I think that uh, I think that Tessa will probably post a picture of the cork board so you can make fun of us at Monkey Backlog on Twitter
1: because podcasting is a visual medium. All right, let's go ahead and take a couple more calls. So our next caller is Colby from North Carolina. Colby will actually be on the podcast next week, so be looking for that. but Colby has called in to ask us for our recommendations let's listen to the call
0: what's up y'all colby from durham north carolina first time long time so my partner and i are running out of shows to watch during the pandy we've watched all that there is to be watched of survivor and the amazing grace and the challenge uh getting there on top chef even though we've got some to go but we've also watched stuff like Shira ra Infotron, and the Hollow and Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. And also Avatar The Last Airbender, which you can listen to a podcast called Four Nations Report. Anyway, this isn't a plug for me. Anything that you have to suggest for us to watch, we will surely appreciate it. So, yeah, I'll hang up and listen. But have y'all watched The Great British Baking Show yet? If you're all the way through Top Chef, this is a good place to pick up.
1: Yeah, Great British Baking Show. I would definitely recommend that if you're into like reality competition. It's just very warm and very nice. Amazing Race is actually on my list personally. Uh, let's see, cartoons. If you are, if you haven't watched the Star Wars animated series, Clone Wars or Rebels, I highly recommend both of those shows. If you start with Clone Wars, do not be put off by the initial movie. It's terrible, but the rest of the show is like top tier animated television. I know that Star Wars has sort of flooded our culture recently, so it can be hard to convince some people to give these shows a chance. But honestly, both Sam and I have agreed recently that Dave Filoni's Star Wars shows are... The best Star Wars. Like, I I don't know if there's a lot out there that's better than them. They stand alone as animated shows as well as Star Wars properties. So if you're looking for like a longer couple of shows to watch that are just solid, solid shows, would recommend those.
0: And I talked about Phineas and Ferb a few weeks ago. I would definitely recommend that. But here's what I'm realizing. Here's what I'm thinking. Colby, we need an animated reality show. It would be the Super Smash Brothers of reality TV. That's what we need. I, I That's what I'm learning from this call-in episode, is really, there's room out there for some new stuff, and we should write it.
1: Wait, doesn't Dan Harmon have a show where he animates like their D&D games? Would that be a re- animated reality show?
0: Tessa, Dan Harmon has enough. He doesn't need anything more. This is ours.
1: (laughs) Okay, and this one is coming from inside the house from Sarah from Oklahoma. Those of you who follow the show will know that joke. But Sarah tweeted at us, "How about some music? Some artists I like are Janet Jackson, Britney Spears, Bjork, James Vincent McMorrow and Sufjan Stevens. Yes, my playlists are all over the place. Give me some pop wrecks." I'm turning this over to Sam because Sam is our resident pop music expert.
0: Sarah, have I got the suggestion for you. There's this there's this artist. She's been around for a while but but I don't think most people know who she is. Like she's very like low-key, independent, you know, so like, I think most streaming services carry her. Her name's Robin, but she actually goes by Rihanna, and I think you might like her i I think you might want to check her out. I think that uh I think based on what you say you like, I think she might be right up your alley.
1: All right, I am definitely going to put Tove Lo on that list. I know I've mentioned her a few times on here. She is probably, if if Abba is like the greatest Swedish pop, Tove Lo is right there behind her. Really a lot of Swedish pop is great too. Robin, another great, great Swedish pop singer. Um, I think that you would really appreciate that particular genre of pop. If you haven't looked into it all that much yet, that would be one of my biggest suggestions would be to look into more Swedish pop. But again, Tove Lo, Robin, those sound like they would be on your list. Also, uh, my, one of my faves, Janelle Monae. If you haven't listened to Dirty Computer, that is a really great album. Electric Lady, another really good album. Prince is on that album. Um, I would recommend just popping that on and getting ready to dance.
0: So I actually have two serious recommendations. Of course, Tessa gave you the Swedish pop, which of course I wholeheartedly endorse. You mentioned Sufjan. I am not a fan of Sufjan's. But, I will say this. Going away from the pop to more of his brand of folk for a second, if you haven't gone back in the Wayback Machine to listen to the OG Sufjan, please take a listen to Nick Drake, who is, you know, just Aside from being Wes Anderson's muse, Nick Drake is is a really good folk artist. And as far as the pop side of things, I cannot recommend more than what we are about to talk about in our next segment. Look up Spotify, all the major streaming services, I believe, carry the soundtrack to this year's Eurovision, which has, so the soundtrack has all the songs that were performed on Eurovision. And if you want to hear some great international pop and some not great international pop, you listen to that. That'll change your life.
1: There's definitely some Bjork energy with some of these performances as well.
0: That's right. Big Bjork energy. All right. Tessa, I am so excited for what we're about to talk about. I don't know how much you and I have ever talked about Eurovision before, but like, what did you know about Eurovision prior to this experience?
1: Honestly, not very much. I mean, I knew Eurovision was a thing and that it was a big deal in Europe. Yeah, I obviously saw the Will Ferrell, Rachel McAdams Eurovision Song Contest, the story of the Fire Saga, but I did not know about as much about it as you did. How long has watching Eurovision been on your list?
0: Back since the Tumblr days, which has been quite a long time. You'd see the GIFs start popping up around, you know, very early in the morning for you because that's when, you know, folks in Europe are still like jamming over what had just happened. But if you don't know, the Eurovision Song Contest, it's a thing. It happens every year. It began in 1956. Countries from Europe, but not just Europe, Western Asia, North Africa, and Australia, countries from all of those places, and of course Australia, compete Not every year, but some years for bragging rights. It's like the World Cup in soccer, but it's every single year. It's great. The most notable Eurovision Song Contest winner is ABBA. Occasionally, you'll have some very famous people perform. Unlike the Olympics, there's no nationality rule. You can perform for whatever country will have you. Celine Dion performed for Switzerland. And Olivia Newton John performed, I know you're thinking Australia, but she performed for the United Kingdom. She came in fourth to ABBA. Wow. Francois Hardy has participated. Bonnie Tyler has participated. Tattoo participated and was apparently robbed, by the way. Hoover Phonic performed this year. There was actually a surprise appearance from Flowrider this year. So it's it's just this really cool thing. It's, if I could describe it in one sentence, it is a celebration of pop music and camp. Eurovision is known very much for being LGBT plus friendly. In fact, one of the main presenters is trans, and that was awesome to see. And what made it awesome to see is this is the first year that Americans were able to legally, without being in the continent at the time, watch Eurovision couldn't participate in voting, but we could watch. And it was great. Tessa, what did you think about it? And how
1: great did you think it was? I mean, it was fascinating. I I think that what was really interesting about it was also trying to figure out the rules as it was going on, because it is a song contest. It's not an artist contest, which I was a little confused about, because the film did not portray it that way, I guess. And so I just thought that was really interesting that it's not just that these artists are nominated by their countries, but also they're nominated for a specific song. So they perform their song. We watched all three nights. So, so the first two nights are the semifinals where they, they each had different countries perform and then they eliminated certain countries. There were four countries? Five. Five countries that were like the big five who already had guaranteed spots in the finale. So that was Germany. The UK, Spain, France, France, and the host country. And the host country. Yeah. So this year. And what was the host country? The host country this year was the Netherlands, which I thought was really interesting because they had basically like skipped a year because of the pandemic. And so uh, the big theme of the Eurovision this year was open up, which I thought was really interesting because they framed each band or each performance with like these really cool graphics of like a house and then like. The house was filled with things that that performer or that band had done during like the pandemic. So there was a lot of like baking montages, like there was floating in a pool on like inflatables. There was like a nail polish thing. It was just really, really interesting because I think part of... The reason this exists is like you said it's a celebration of pop music but I also think it's like an internet it's a very international contest. Like countries are not allowed to vote for their own performers, their own representatives. They have to vote for a different performance. And I think that that's supposed to like help sort of foster this idea of like international relationships, which I just think is just so interesting.
0: And so we're going to do this Top Chef style. So I'm going to channel my inner Padma Some of these performances were not our favorite. They left us wanting more. Tessa, what were some of our least favorites?
1: Some of our least favorite performances were Moldova, Natalia Gordiengo. I I hope I get some of these names right. She performed this song called Sugar, and to me... It just seemed like a very bad Marilyn Monroe performance. Like she was trying, she was wearing the sparkly dress and she had like the short blonde hair and she was being very breathy in her performance, but it was also like more of like almost a regular pop song. And to me, it just didn't work. It just seemed like a very bad imitation. So that was one of my least favorite performances.
0: So another one that we we did not like, we did not like uh, the Israeli performer Eden Aline. Uh, Her performance was very—you could tell there was an attempt to be very Ariana Grande about it. Um, She has that um, that upper octave that you associate with Ariana Grande and Mariah Carey, but just because you have it doesn't mean you can use it well. Uh, Another one of our least favorites was. Finland. Dark side. Black metal, you guys. That was an experience. This almost won. But it was one of our least favorites. We were thankful that it didn't win. Before we talk about some of our favorites, though, there were some interesting performances. We liked some of them. We weren't eh, about them, but they were They were very... I have never seen anything like that in my entire life. Tessa,
1: I I don't I know that this like wasn't made didn't make your list of favorites but one of my favorites and also most interesting of the night or of the finale night I should say was Germany's I don't feel hate the performer was Gendrick. I found this song delightful but I found even more delightful his performance with a small guitar small small sparkly guitar, uh and the three all-female brass section in the back. They were, like, backup singers, but they were also playing, like, a three-piece brass section. And this woman in a... What I can only describe as a hand costume. And what was interesting about it is I think it was supposed to be, like, a peace sign... But one of the fingers kept falling down, so it looked like she was like flipping us the middle finger the whole time. But she also played a brass. I just found the entire performance delightful. I also really like the song, I Don't Feel Hate. I mean, it was very like flipping someone off, you know, like, you hate me, but I don't care about it.
0: Yeah, I really don't think that was unintentional. I think the peace sign and the finger were a nice juxtaposition. I think they were on purpose. Well done, Germany. Quick shout out to San Marino. Uh, Senit's Adrenalina, had an appearance from Flo Rida, who was allowed a special waiver to participate. Again, you don't have to be from the country to participate, but you do have to be involved. He missed the first two rehearsals because he was judging a bikini contest in Florida, but they let him come anyway. That is the singular most Flo Rida and Florida story I have ever heard. To me, the weirdest that takes the cake is Russia with... Russian woman, I was terrified. Pop music should not terrify you unless it is by Icelandic legend Bjork. Wow. What were some of our favorite performances?
1: This one also crosses the the boundaries between weird and delightful, but the first song that we actually saw of the entire Eurovision (laughs) was Discotheque. By the Roop from Li- Lithuania. It is such an odd performance that the song itself is really cool. Like, it, it is kind of this, like, uh, again, like kind of discotheque like dance vibe, but it's about dancing alone. And so it seems like a very pandemic song. But the Roop is just kind of, it's like this three man outfit and two of them were playing you know doing the dj like playing their electronic keyboards and the third man was doing these like wild hand dances one of which was like supposed to be like eurovision i'm like doing the dance now as i'm doing this i know podcasting Podcasting
0: is a visual medium
1: Uh it actually reminds me of the uh hand exercises I had to do when I was playing the violin like to get my my fingers ready to do, you know, to 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 do those strings. It was a great performance. What can I say? They also jumped quite a bit during the popular vote section. They were like extremely extremely popular. I also loved the French uh the French performance by Barbara Pravi, Voila, and she actually w- was very close to winning she finished second in the the technical though and she it's just like the best of french pop i feel like i've listened to quite a bit of french pop especially as i work i like to have it on and it's just this very beautiful very emotional song and it's in french and it's beautiful and she gets tears in her eyes while she's performing and also i liked I appreciated the performances that were very stripped down in this because part of this performance, the, this series of performances, this contest is like, it is very campy. It is very big. It is very weird. And I appreciated a lot of those performances. Some of them did seem like they were just kind of big to be big. And I, I appreciated that she took this very beautiful little intimate song and just did a beautiful intimate performance. And I, I just appreciate that.
0: And you felt the same way about the performer from Bulgaria as well.
1: Yes. uh, So Victoria, her song was Growing Up is Getting Old. It was very, it reminded me a lot of like a Billie Eilish, uh, Julian Baker kind of crossover. Like it was very toned down. It still had some really beautiful visuals, but it was mainly just her singing this song in the middle, like on this sort of. You know, rock looking thing with this waterfall. And it was just, it was just a really pretty stripped down song. So I, you know, again, I appreciate that.
0: Quick shout out to the earworm, the one I cannot get out of my head, because that's the other great thing about Eurovision. This is pop, it's very ephemeral. I don't think many of these songs will stand the test of time. And that's okay. I don't think that's their purpose. The song by uh, Effendi from Azerbaijan. Uh, Matahari lives rent-free in my head to this day, (laughs) and it's it's a real thing. Three others I want to touch on very quickly that we liked. One, Hooverphonic. I was so surprised. I know who Hooverphonic is. I've been a fan of theirs for a very long time. They had a track from their new album called The Wrong Place. That was a good song. I enjoyed it. Did not fare well in the final voting, but, you know, hey, it's fine. Another one that we really liked was from Portugal. Uh, The band is called The Black Mamba, and the song was called Love Is On My Side. These folks need to be the people who do the next James Bond theme song. That is all there is to say about that. That was great. I'm not going to try to pronounce their names from Iceland, but their song Ten Years may have possibly been better than Ya Ya Ding Dong. And by the way, I waited and I waited and I waited And at the end, when they go to the countries to say who the country's judges are, the person from the Eurovision movie who yells famously, play-ya-ya-ding-dong, showed up and said, play-ya-ya-ding-dong. So Iceland gave us two very good things from this Eurovision song contest.
1: And in my heart, and I think in your heart too, Iceland's performance was just phenomenal. It wasn't just the song that was good. The song is really interesting because it's about a long-term relationship, which I always find pop songs that are about that to be fascinating. Because like you said, pop songs are ephemeral. But did they or did they not nail the 80s aesthetic? They had sweaters on, matching sweaters that had like 8-bit replicas of their faces on them. They had these really cool, funky 80s dance moves. And at the end of the song, the three members of the band who were playing guitars, because yes, of course they were playing guitars, linked their keytars up Voltron style, into like this circle of just plain awesomeness. Like I'm kind of surprised that they didn't just ascend to the heavens in the middle of their performance.
0: It was magical. What wasn't magical? And perhaps one of the least, least everything performances. From the UK, James Newman's entry, Embers. I mean, it was, a, it was nothing. It was nothing. It was nothing. It was nothing. And that's how many votes it received. From where? Everywhere. From the judges? From the popular votes? No votes. No votes at all. The United Kingdom received... Zero votes. And as somebody who's new to the Eurovision Song Contest, I don't know what to make of that except Brexit much? Who knows? I don't know. But it was great.
1: All I could think of was the entire EU in Lizzo's best impression saying you could have had a bad bit."
0: So this brings us to the end of the process. And it was really interesting because we did not know how this worked, but we go from all over the countries uh, that participate in Eurovision and they all vote. They have their panels, their juries, and then somebody comes on the screen and says this is how many votes they get. And that's cool. All right, And then we got to the popular vote from each country and and what we didn't know was do they get, do the popular votes get the same amount, do the judges? We still don't entirely know, but weird things started to happen when you let the people vote because democracy is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And by the way, we were subjected to, I believe, not one, not two, not three, but at least four statements from the person in charge of the Eurovision voting process that this was a legit, accurate, verified vote. And that's democracy, friends. Democracy almost gave us the Finnish black metal, but instead, in a surprise twist, long live rock and roll, an Italian rock band, we think it's pronounced Monaskin, won for their song ZT Buoni. And just wow, rock and roll, man, like a 70s era Fleetwood Mac, all tight leather, rocking out. I don't even know what to tell you.
1: I am pretty sure every single member of that band is pansexual. I mean, good for them. And good for them. Like, no, I mean, like, that is the, the aesthetic of this band. It's just like pansexuality, like distilled into one single rock group. They were so happy to win. They were all crying. It was very, very great. Uh, despite the fact that the cameras definitely caught the lead singer doing a line of coke on live television. That was really fun. He says no. He, he says, says no. He says no. Yeah. But I, you know, like, this was just such a, like, I think that the what, one of the most interesting parts about the voting process, besides trying to figure out what the voting process was about halfway through, is this idea that, like, there were some songs in this lineup that I think would have done really well in the U.S. if this had been a U.S. contest, that didn't do as well. And there were some songs that I don't think would have done as well in the U.S. that almost won the whole thing, like the Finnish black metal. And, you know, I just think that that's really interesting, looking at, like, a very different demographic in terms of pop, um, that Europe is such a different... We tend to think of the U.S. and Europe as being closer together than perhaps other, other countries. And there's a lot of really terrible reasons for that. But like I do think it's interesting that music, the way that music is judged and the way the music is valued is fundamentally different um, over there than it is here. And I just thought that was very interesting. Um, I do have a question for you though, Sam, now that you have checked this monkey off your list. Does this help you in your goal of listening to more international pop? Because that was something that came up a couple weeks ago.
0: Eurovision Song Contest could not exist in America. And it shouldn't. And I hope it never does. We already have American Idol... We already have The Voice. I hate both of those programs. I don't like them. I don't respect it. Um, I know that a lot of other countries have versions, iterations um, of these shows. I know Simon Cowell really started the whole thing anyway. This is different. This is better. I didn't know how much I needed this in my life. NBC, Universal put this on Peacock for free. I hope we have torn down that particular wall and we'll be able to watch it every single year because I love this so very much. This is my favorite reality competition, period, end of story. Nothing better is ever going to come along than this. I love it so much. Will I listen to some of these songs later? Probably. Will I listen to most of them again? No, but that just means it was a great experience in the moment. We're still laughing over it, and we're going to be super excited for it to come up next year. It's going to be just like the Oscars, just like the Super Bowl, just like the World Cup, except again every single year. I'm psyched.
1: I do think I'm going to listen to more Hooverphonic after this. I really enjoyed that song. That seems like something that I would just put on and, and listen to. So there, there were some performances that I thought, you know what? I'm going to listen to this band. I'd probably listen more to the Italian band, too. I really enjoyed their, their particular brand of rock and roll. All the songs are available to play in various playlists on streaming services, and you can also watch the song contest if you want to see what we're talking about, what the big deal is. You can see it on Peacock. All right. Our next call is from Megan, also from North Carolina. Megan has been on the show several times. We hope to have her on to talk about more Fast and Furious soon. Let's listen to the call. Hello, Tessa, Andy, and Sam. This is Megan Spell, longtime listener, first time caller. Although I have been a guest on a few episodes, uh, including the very aggressive Fast and Furious episodes. I'm certain you remember. I am calling in with a request for recommendation. I want to stump you guys a little here. So I'll tell you guys some things that I like. I like Mama Mia. Here we go again. I like Fleabag and fantasy romance novels. So. Do with that what you will. Good luck. Thank you all.
0: (laughs) Okay, so I got it, right? Pierce Brosnan, James Bond, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, James Bond, and then we throw in the fantasy. So once again, what I'm hearing is we need a fantasy genre James Bond. Come on. The super spy of the fantasy world. Like, this is something, what we've learned time and time again from this episode, is that pop culture has disappointed us. There are new fields to play in. Stop rebooting everything. Instead of making Queen Latifah the equalizer, let's make her a super spy in the fantasy realm. Come on, people. Originality. (laughs) Like,
1: I was trying to think if there's a way to encapsulate phoebe waller bridge into like fantasy like if there's a character that's like that in fantasy i don't know if i can if i can quite get there with my fantasy romance picks but i definitely recommend grace draven's fantasy uh, romance series the wraith kings is like her big um series in that field i'm a huge cresley cole fan it's more paranormal than it is fantasy and I've been recently reading this this series. It's a reverse harem series called Herrick Chronicles, and I've really been enjoying it. Um, so I would definitely recommend that as well. I'm trying to think, uh, Lee Bag and Mamma Mia, here we go again. I mean, James Bond is like the the obvious link here. Man, that is a tough one.
0: And here's another pitch, by the way. And 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 I don't feel bad because Megan's seen everything, so it's fine. The great thing about Mamma Mia, right? And Again, as somebody who doesn't really like musicals but has seen an awful lot of them, the thing that's best about Mamma Mia is both of them, even though we haven't seen the second one yet, I feel assured that this is true. The fact that we just drop all pretense of doing a movie in favor of just singing and having a good time. Why can't we do that in more genres? I want to see Fast and Furious, Here We Go Again. I want to see John Wick, Here We Go Again. I want to see Fleabag. Here we go again with dancing foxes that's what I want. Come on, we can do better be Tessa's crazy. still trying Tessa is still trying to think of serious answers to these questions, which I think is always her mistake.
1: in this particular episode I'm like the fraser i'm like i'm listening, and you're the Roz in the back, just like giving like relationship advice that actually is important.
0: yeah, and we're going to talk about Lucifer next week i that Oddly, I think, checks all of the boxes, Megan. If you haven't seen Lucifer yet, you've got your suave, super cool dude doing funny stuff. You know, so like Pierce Brosnan in Mama Bea. You can't forget that he's Bond, but he is acting against type. You've got your fantastical element because he's playing Lucifer. And then you've got your, you know, sensibility from Fleabag and Phoebe Waller Bridge, you know, that big jerk energy that they both have. So I think that might work. But Tess is super excited.
1: I just remembered the Will Ferrell, Rachel McAdams vehicle Eurovision, which goes with what we were talking about earlier. If you haven't seen that movie yet. Yeah, ding dong! It play ya yeah, yeah, ding dong. Uh Pierce Brosnan is in that movie and it involves a lot of music and it kind of has that very similar like European pop. Like it is kind of tongue in cheek and it is kind of making fun of Eurovision but at the same time it's got a lot of the joy of Eurovision in it and so it, it makes it like a really fun little piece of pop culture.
0: What are the chances that Megan hasn't seen Eurovision yet?
1: Oh, a uh, slim to none, but I had to throw it in here.
0: All right. I think we've got one more one more tweet in. Is that right?
1: Are you ready for the boss level of personalized recommendations?
0: I think you know that I'm not based on how we've been doing this episode.
1: So James just tweeted at us, go off my vibes.
0: Okay. This one's actually easy. James, I want to recommend to you an indie movie from the 70s. Feel like the vibe of this movie is just what you need right now. As I said, it's an indie movie about fascism overcoming great odds. A plucky band of teenagers going up against the ultimate evil, not just in the world but in the galaxy. Lots of practical effects, good times. It's really it's tightly edited. It's a good flick. It's from 1977. It's called Star Wars.
1: The problem is. We know what we want James to watch, so they'll come onto the podcast and talk to us about it. But in all seriousness, based on some of the things James has talked about before, I know I've mentioned Ex Machina to you, James. That's a really good film that I think would fit into some of the things that you've talked about on this podcast before. I would also recommend to you Mass Effect, because I know you haven't played that game and I think you would really enjoy it. We're actually going to talk about that next week when Colby comes on as well. And I'm going to recommend Only Lovers Left Alive because it's such a beautiful movie and it's so intricately shot and there's a lot of really interesting like history things going on in it that I think you would enjoy it. Last but not least, because I know you love Nancy Drew, The CW Show, I'm going to recommend Riverdale because it is just like the most campy, queer, nonsensical thing that i have ever seen in my life but it is so enjoyable to watch and so addictive and i just think that you'll love it
0: as we close this out tessa i think i have one by the way star wars was a real recommendation but i have another actual recommendation i think we should close this podcast where we began james have you seen brick
1: oh yeah james you would love brick
0: See, I did it. That's it. We're done.
1: (laughs) Full circle. Snake eating its own tail. All right. Tune in next week. As I said several times in this episode, Colby Waddell will be joining us. I'll be talking about Space Jam. He'll be talking about Mass Effect. Sam will be talking about Lucifer. It'll be great times. Where can you find us? Sam, where can people complain at you about your recommendations?
0: Find me on Twitter at sam underscore morris nine and if these recommendations weren't good enough go bother at andy noted
1: you can find me at suela tessa suela is spelled s-w-e-h-l-a send us your thoughts about the monkeys we talked about today about eurovision specifically since that was the only monkey we talked about today what pop culture you've crossed off your list lately what you'd like for us to talk about on future episodes or anything else that comes to mind Was this call an episode a success? Would you like us to do more of these episodes in the future? Find us on Twitter and Instagram at monkeybacklog. Email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com. Our theme song is Hotshot by Scott Holmes and can be found on scottholmesmusic.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, please, please, please. Follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Get that monkey off your back.